Welcome to season three of Overcoming Working Mum Burnout. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, mum, behavior scientist, and burnout survivor. I interview DEI leadership and mental health experts to uncover burnout solutions at the individual, family, work, and cultural levels. When mums thrive, the world benefits. Please take a moment to check out my website at www.drjacquelinecurr.com. Click on the free guides button and find solutions for burnout that support individual, team, and organizational change. If you're worried about regrettable turnover, but already have too much on your plate, I can provide a comprehensive roadmap to help you improve wellness, belonging, and engagement through an overarching burnout prevention strategy. So you can have thriving, diverse leadership teams. This week's guest, Dr. Whitney Cesares wears many hats, but she sees them fundamentally as leadership roles. She leads in her pediatrician practice. She leads in her mum support business, and she leads in her home. This leadership stance allows her to have a higher vision for life based on her core values. And she isn't the one doing all the work. She's directing it. And this approach, as well as a physiological understanding of stress, helps her manage her own burnout and prevent it in other mums. I hope you learn as much from this conversation as I did. My name is Dr. Whitney Caceres, and I have two kids who are two girls, ages five and eight. And I am the CEO and founder of Modern Mommy Doc and the Modern Mamas Club app. Ah, so we have eight-year-old girls in common. Awesome. Eight-year-old girls are so fun. I love my eight-year-old daughter. I feel like I can have not adult conversations, but just gets the nuance of things a little bit more at this age. And it's really fun. It's exciting to be her mom at this point. I love it. I know my daughter is so emotionally aware. She observes people's emotions and then puts two and two together in some way in her brain. And she's always astounding us with her questions and her observations, both of those. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think we mentioned this when you're on my podcast, but my oldest daughter is neurodivergent. She has autism and I know we're not supposed to say high functioning autism anymore, but she's would have been in the Asperger's group when that was a thing before. And so it actually is a very interesting thing as she gets older, she notices my burnout when I have it. She notices my stress. She notices tiffs between my husband and I more often than she did before. And I think kids are always aware, but I think that at this age and also just with her being differently wired, that it's like, you can't hide things. So it has taught me to be very transparent and authentic in my house because they're picking up on it anyway. It's a really interesting place to be as a parent to have that kind of kiddo. Yeah. So my son would be really under the similar diagnosis. He's 13 now. And so it was ADHD and Asperger's, which then puts him on the spectrum. And I've had to learn so much in terms of that his brain is wired differently for me. So it's often in those situations where I cannot understand why he can't understand me. And then I'm something like, 
because our brains are different. And it literally, it took me so long to realize that and work on that. And also then how to communicate with him. He needs time to prepare to have a conversation. I really have to ask his permission. And sometimes I just ask him to think about something and come back because it's just in the moment, it's really hard. But I do think that sensitivity that he has is incredible. It's sensitivity to all sorts of things. And he feels deeply, he feels he's so sensitive emotionally. So I've been really on the lookout and listening to other podcasts where people are talking about sensitivity as a strength. So I'm glad we can have these conversations about neurodiversity. And we, in fact, ended up going to a charter school for my son where social emotional learning is part of the curriculum. It's a project-based learning school. And that just changed his life, really. It made such a difference. So I hope you also on this journey can find some things that work for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Debbie Reber, who I love, who wrote the book Differently Wired, has talked about that with her own son, kind of these moments of acceptance of this is the person that my child is. I think every parent can learn something from that of radical acceptance of this is the life I am living with my child. These are the specific needs of my child. And when I came to that place of, okay, this is the limitations, but also the opportunities that we have with her, it really did allow us to be able to say no to some things that really weren't a great fit and to fully lean into other things that serve her and us well. Exactly. My son sometimes wears long sleeves and long pants and we're in Southern California here and it's boiling hot. So I don't have those fights with him. I don't try and control what he wears. That's what makes him feel comfortable. And with some of the foods that he finds extremely aggressive to his palate as a parent to just go, look, I haven't got a fussy kid. I've got a kid that is really feeling physiologically something quite different to me. And so starting to let go of maybe some of those parental battles that I would have pursued thinking I was doing the right thing to force him to eat things and wear sensible clothes. So that was great to let go of. But I think the other thing we discovered about him is he has this visual spatial strength. And I'm so excited at where he is as a 13-year-old in the space he's at the moment. He's so into movies and he does write and he's writing scripts. And I have a friend who transitioned from academia like me. He's now in the film business. And he was telling me he also recently got diagnosed himself as an adult. So he shares so much with my son. They've started communicating and he's taking him on as a mentor. And he was saying that visual spatial that he has, that's going to make him a director. Other people don't see the world the way your son sees the world. So this is a strength that he can use in this industry. And I was just like, oh, I'm so excited that it's aligning and that someone supportive. Because I think that's the thing. Let's talk about this a little bit, because I know I interviewed Isabel Ross. Um, she's a researcher on parental burnout. And one of the predictors of parental burnout is having a child with additional special needs. So we may be burning out more often. But the fact that we can also have more adults around us who help us in this process. That's why I'm so grateful for this male friend that's willing to help him because as a parent, I can't do it all. So yeah, what's your thoughts on thinking that parental burnout might be a little higher in families with kids with special needs? Yeah, no question. And it's not just because 
of that individual child with the special needs. In my house, it's because then I have another five-year-old child who also has her own needs. And then the older child sometimes gets a little bit muddied in terms of her response to the younger child. So then that escalates things. So then my husband gets frustrated. So then I get frustrated with him. So then it's like chaos. And I really do think what you're saying about having a parent or another adult in your life or multiple other adults in your life that your child can be connected to because they are often able to think on a little bit more of like a meta level that helps that reduces the burnout the other thing that has helped for my husband and I we just did this for our anniversary is to take ourselves completely out of our situation with our child and not feel guilty about that at all for our anniversary we just had our 18 year anniversary and we were young pups when we met I was a, a freshman in college when I met my husband and married him the year after we finished college went to grad school together all that stuff so we've been around a long time and sometimes I think when things are really hard in our household, because sometimes they are, I think, oh, we're like a bad couple or like somehow we haven't learned the communication things other people should learn. Wow, why do we have to go to therapy over and over again together to work on our relationship? And then when I take us out of our home and have it be just us, I'm reminded like we actually do pretty well together when it's just us, you know what I mean? We actually are able to communicate when no one's screaming in our ear and two people aren't breaking down. And so that has been huge for us. We do that on a regular basis. I'm not a date night type of person as much. We do some of those things, but we really try to have some extended time that we're away together. And the trick to that, in my experience with our, our kiddo with Asperger's has been to set it up so that she's with someone that she feels very physiologically comfortable with so that when we return, we don't then have a fallout that then we have to deal with. So for example, my mother would be the natural person or my mother-in-law would be the natural person to watch her. But whenever we do that, it ends up that it's just like a lot of stress when we come home. So my little one will go to my mom's or my mother-in-law's to hang out. And my older one, we put her with one of her friends or with one of our caregivers who's been with us for a long time. We have them come to her. So we really tried to dive into this idea that it doesn't have to be the way other families do it, that it doesn't have to be what would make sense on a logical level. Of course, both kids should be able to be in the same house with their grandparent for a night or two. But really, it's about what does it take to make our entire family structure work and to have sustainable solutions and things that make it so that our stress level stays like this, like little ups and downs versus up, down, up, down, up, down through valleys and mountains. Cause we don't want that. That's not good for anyone. That definitely leads to more burnout. That's so important. And I love that you actually are thinking about that return. Cause if the return from something enjoyable is so miserable, it does, it makes it not worth it. So thanks for that example too. Cause I always want mums to share the examples of when they are taking care of themselves and are taking care of their relationships and giving everyone else permission to. So my experience was that was, when I learned, my husband and I learned our love languages and my love language, the first one is positive affirmation. So I had to start learning to thank myself and getting my husband to work out how to thank me. I remember at first I actually texted him and said, I did this this morning. You can say thank you. And then we joke about it. We made it a joke, but he would text back. He goes, 
Thank you, dear. But then I learned that his was quality time. So that's what I did for his Christmas. I got him a weekend away without the kids. And the whole weekend, my whole focus was this is quality time for him. This is about him and me bringing quality time to him. So I didn't have any work with me and just did all the things that he wanted to. And to be honest, that was for part of the day sitting and watching some football. And he was just so happy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody has their own love language. Everybody has their own unique needs, the things that fill them up. I love Jancy Dunn's book, How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids, which is a salacious title, but like such a good book and very evidence-based and fair and measured. But she talks about treating items of value. How do you say this thing is important to me? So I want to spend time doing it, or I need extra focus to be able to do it. And this thing is important to you. My husband's a big extrovert. So he wants to be with other people like constantly, like have a party constantly. That drives me up the wall. I like being with one or two key people, have a huge sob fest over something really deep. That's my jam. And so we have to divide that out and say, great, I'll give this to you. Get these people over. And one of the ways that we really have found to communicate about that in an effective manner is, I know you and I talked about Erodsky's work and how she talks about having really like running the entire list of tasks that need to happen and each and every single thing. I tried to do that with my husband. I love Erodsky. I tried, I bought the cards. I bought the book. I showed it and my husband goes, I'm not the window. I'm not doing this. <laughs> so I said, okay. He goes, now listen, I care about you. And I do want to divide up the task, but I will not, this is so inefficient. I will not be going through every single card and like naming them off. He goes, what I will do is sit with you in a 15 minute to 20 minute session once a week and go through what do we have to do? What do we need to do? What do we want to do this week? And divide it up that way. That I'm totally in it to win it. So I think We have to take all these ideas, all these philosophies, all these kind of frameworks people give us who are experts and they're amazing ideas and make them work for us, depending on the personalities of partners, depending on family structures, all of those. I agree because I had a similar experience in terms of my husband was like, no, I want to share more tasks together because he wanted us to spend more quality time together, even if that was doing the dishes together. And I was like, no, that's the opposite of the whole dang system. And, but the point was that changed our conversation and it sounds like it totally changed yours as well. So even if those tools, like it could be the solution for you, but the fact that you're bringing a solution that they then can respond to and offer something else, because if you just have this conversation of you need to help me more and my husband's, what does that look like? And I'm just like, I don't know. I just know need to know that you will and you can. And coming from our research perspective too, I'll get a little nerdy here. So when we ask people about behavior change and we say to them, what would you do? What intervention would impact you to, to change your behavior, for example? Everybody just talks utter nonsense because they have no idea what they would do. Whereas if we actually start them with a little pilot project or a really good like storyboard of what a behavior change could look like and what an intervention would look like, then they can go, oh, not that, but this, right? So I think it works in that same way, which is we have no idea what we actually need. That is an example of what you can do. And then suddenly you're more informed to say, no, I like this, not that, I want this. And that's when I learned that it wasn't about sharing these cards. It was about me getting a 
total break from parenting and letting my husband parent on his own without me judging him. And that was the hardest part to hear, but needed to hear it. Yeah, I think so too. And always interested too, I'm sure this will ring true for you too, as a behavioral change scientist, we can give people formulas and things for them to follow till the cows come home. But if we don't understand like the why or the resistance point or the thing that's holding someone back, a lot of times we can tell them what to do, but it won't ever change. So again, going back to my husband and I, a lot of times what would happen is he would wake up in the morning on Saturday mornings and he would lie in bed and he'd be like on his phone, like looking at Facebook or whatnot. And I'd be up with my littlest, with Maria, the five-year-old. And I'd be like, she's up at the crack of dawn. So 5.30, 5.45 in the morning, I'm up like slogging around, drinking my coffee, trying to make her breakfast, entertaining her. And then at 7.30 or eight, I'm saying like, are you going to get up? What is going on? And I'm so frustrated, right? That like, how dare he make me be the one who gets up and takes care of these children? You must be a horrible person and you must not care about me that you're doing this. So this is going on. And finally, we had one of these moments where we were away on a weekend and I had nagged him and nagged him. And every Saturday gone in and said, get off the phone, come into the living room. And he goes, the reason why I stay on the phone is that she's always cranky in the morning and she's like screaming and I hear her and you're like telling her to get off of you at four. She's still trying to like grab at my chest. And then you're telling her like, please don't do that. And then I can just hear like the chaos of our lives. It's ramping up. It's like this huge alarm bell. Then the other one wakes up and they start to have an argument. And I literally am just trying to put myself in a cocoon and I don't want to be here in the mornings. And so I'm literally not here. I get on my phone. Okay. I can have compassion for that. It's not going to stay that way. We still have to address the behavior, but I can at least have compassion for, okay, what do we need to do either from a mindset perspective or from a self-care perspective for you, or from a, if you're not in it at all with the kids, you won't be there for the good parts too. You're going to miss the bad and the good. And that conversation is the one that actually changed his behavior long-term. I could have told him we're going to switch off every day and whatnot. I think he still wouldn't have done it or it required me to do a lot of nagging still. And it was that underlying like curiosity about the why that got us to a place of true change and equity in our household. And that's so important. Yeah. And that was him coping. And I even had that same conversation with my husband around my son, where he was being a little bit judgmental about him not being interested in other people and wanting to withdraw. And basically a, a friend reflected back to me, he's coping with the pressure that being around people puts on him. And that was so awesome to just suddenly think of it in that way. And so that's what your husband was doing. He was trying to prepare himself and cope with the situation. And yeah, I have so much compassion for that. So let's talk a little bit about all these different roles you play, because because role conflict is definitely something and role strain is something that can lead to burnout. So you're a pediatrician, a business partner, a podcast host, an author, am I going to stress you out here, a club leader, an app developer. How do you manage all of this? So I really actually consider that I only have three main roles, four, I guess, if you count taking care of myself. But like outside of myself, I actually 
only have three main roles. I am the leader of Modern Mommy Doc. I am a leader in my organization at my pediatrics office. And I am a leader in my household for my kids. So I can handle three roles that are leadership roles if I can delegate from a mental load perspective and from an actual like physical acts that have to be completed perspective within those. So if I'm thinking when I go to my pediatrics office, my only thing that I'm supposed to do today is to act on the leadership team to make sure that this business runs well. And then as a subset of that leadership role, I'm supposed to see some patients to make sure that I know what's going on. And really to me, like 10 years ago, there's no way I could have taken on like a leadership role in my pediatrics office because I was too new as a pediatrician. I was trying to figure out what to do. But at this point, 12 years into my actual practice, I don't know every single thing there is about pediatrics, but I'm pretty good at doing like a two month visit and a four month visit. I don't have to think much about what I'm doing. So I can give my full attention to that person. That's just a block of time. It's not really a responsibility. Similarly, at Modern Mommy Doc, I don't do much of anything that's not actually role specific to my job as a leader. I have decided if I'm going to do Modern Mommy Doc at all, I have to delegate to a operations person to do all the stuff I'm not that great at. I have to delegate to someone who's going to run ads for me. I have to delegate to someone who's going to run the podcast for me. Now, the podcast, of course, I had to invest some time to say, this is how I want all the emails to look when you're communicating with our podcast guests. This is the timing that it needs to happen. Here's the person who's going to put together the graphics. People CC me on things, so I get notifications about things. I'm in the loop. But other than sitting and recording the podcast, I do absolutely nothing related to the podcast at this point. I have other people that are helping me to pick guests. I have other people that are doing the scheduling. So that's an example of like Modern Mommy Doc. And the same thing at all the other levels of our organization. And of course, I come back in contact with everyone at monthly and weekly meetings to make sure I have tabs on everything. But I'm not carrying the weight of the to-dos. I would rather spend money on and invest time in investing in other people being part of it. And my philosophy is, if I don't have the money to be able to do that, and it takes too long for this to become something, then it's not worth it for me because I don't. I would rather have it not exist than have it be super stressful all the time. Are there moments where things get a little out of hand and like I have to have my fingers in the pot more than I want to? Absolutely. But on the whole, I consider those like unsustainable moments. And if they lasted too long, I would have to find a different solution. So that way I'm not sucked into that. And then similarly in my house, to our point we were making earlier about the way you do it doesn't have to fit a certain mold or doesn't have to be a certain way. I remember I had a therapist one time who I was talking about how getting my kids to school and ready in the morning was one of the biggest stressors that I had as a parent. Because like that moment, they don't want to get out the door and they can't find their shoe and whatever. And I was saying how I felt bad that this was something that I actually felt like I was not skilled at. I must be, have a deficit in something because I'm unable to do this simple task, like relatively simple task of getting my kids out the door. And you could just delegate that to somebody else and have it be that the time that you're spending with your kids is really quality when you pick them up and they're less stressed and you're less stressed and you don't have to get out the door to your other job. 
And that doesn't have to cost money, by the way. That was like, my mom came over in the mornings and helped with that. I had another friend who was taking her kids to school. And so she would actually take them. So then the kids were more motivated, motivated to get out. They were more motivated to get out there because they had their little friends that were waiting for them. So I think there's always ways in a household to either give a task to someone else to decide I'm going to have conscious minimalism around this. Uh, in my house, for example, I hate clutter. So as soon as clutter starts to build up and I notice that the toys are accumulating and nobody's picking them up, they go in a trash bag and they stay in the garage for a month and people can ask for stuff if they need it out of there. But if no one asks for anything, then it's out of here. It's gone. And then the other piece, I think for all of those different roles that I have is really setting strong boundaries learning to say, this won't work for me. And to ask the question of myself, is this going to, in the end, be in alignment with the core aspects of my life that I care the most about? If someone asked me to volunteer at the school, we were talking about this earlier, is it because I want to be with my child and I want to have a strong relationship with my child and she's asked me, and this is a one-off thing for her to come? Sure. Am I going to be cutting up like squares of construction paper in a back office somewhere at the elementary school where my kid doesn't even see me? Absolutely not. I'm going to have somebody else do that. So I'm always looking at things through that litmus. Is this in alignment with what I care the most about, where I want to place my focus, my time, my energy? When I'm 80 years old, when I look back on my life, is this something that I want people to celebrate me for at that experience? If not, then, okay, I could either delegate it out, I could say no to it completely, or I could have some selective mediocrity around it. Like, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it with at least the amount of effort as possible. Or I could say, I can do it, but it's going to have to be at this other time that I know wasn't your first choice, but it will work for me then because I'll have more time. So that's how I manage things is really starting first with core values and with my core goals at Modern Mommy Talk, we call that our center points. And I have five, everybody has their own. So mine are strong connections with my family, my kids and my partner. That is contribution to other women. That is wellness, health and wellness. So that's like physical wellness and mental wellness. Exploration, it has been like travel in the past, but that's been really like way late. So I would consider exploration like learning about new things, documentaries and other cultures and that type of thing. And then the last has been financial literacy and being free from debt so that I have a bandwidth not to be a billionaire, but to be able to do what's most important with my money. Those are amazing. My goodness. They're such great comprehensive values because I think that's so important that we have values to hold on to. It wasn't like a value like honesty or something, which is then what does that even mean? Those were operationalized values. I love those. And I'm just so impressed by your ability to talk about how in such a complex various roles that you minimalize them by having that as a criteria and again the wording you use sometimes it's mediocrity sometimes it's these unsustainable moments but you've defined them this is not going to be sustainable and if it's not working it's not working and then to see it all from that leadership umbrella that's so empowering I'm a recovering workaholic and perfectionist right just like everybody <laughs> just like most moms are working moms are you know 
when I started working, when I was first becoming a doctor and a pediatrician, I had no concept of any of this. I was basically like, yep, just be the one that tries the hardest. Yep. Just do the most amount of work. I was never the kid in high school who got the best SAT scores, but I was the one who like got some of the best grades because I was up all night, like working on my projects. And so I think when you're that person, it perpetuates itself. You continue to be that person and you carry that into motherhood. I just have to try harder. I have to try harder. And what I found is that when I actually give myself space and cut out a bunch of other distractions, I'm able to work a lot smarter. I make less mistakes. I have less redundancy. And so in the end, actually things are easier for me and they might not be perfect, but I don't want to hurt myself at the end of the day based off the work that I've done. And actually we had a really good example of this. We have our new app that just came out, the Modern Mamas Club app. And we're not a huge startup. We couldn't afford like a $500,000 developer to develop the app. So we're scrappily doing it. And on the platform that we originally built it on, we had some major bugs where features on the app just kept on disappearing. So we'd add something into the app, but then it would just be completely gone. So my partner in crime on the app at my business would do the work and then it would go away. And so at a recent team meeting, she goes, I think what I should maybe do, because I don't want to disappoint the people that are app members right now, users, is I'll just build it. And then if it happens to go away, oh, I could just build it again. Let's take a pause. We can wait a week to find a freelance developer to help us fix bugs to get it the way it's supposed to be, I would rather waste $3,000 in advertising, which is a lot of money for a startup company. I would rather waste that than have you burnt out in two weeks and not able then to like fully use your creative power to make our app as amazing as it can be. So we have to just wait a week. And I know that feels so icky, but I was telling my team, we have to sit in that, I think, because otherwise we're going to run ourselves ragged. And I think a lot of moms are like spinning, trying to find like the perfect Amazon find, the perfect thing for their kids, the perfect class for their kids, the perfect thing for them and their partner to be the best ever. And if we gave ourselves just the space to be quiet and to relax and to not have a thing on our to-do list for a whole hour, we would actually come up with solutions that would work better for us and would prevent burnout in the end. Yeah, I think that's so important indeed, because again, our brains to be creative and innovative need space. That's really what we have to think about in our workplaces in relation to burnout. I remember somebody asking me, is meeting free Friday just a band-aid? I'm like, no, that is a really good burnout prevention strategy. Give people space to think. And I think as some of those management books I was reading at the beginning, were even saying that folks like Bill Gates or others, they take two weeks where they have nothing scheduled. And it's not just even a vacation. It's two weeks of free thinking time. And so it's different than a vacation is really where you're like, how can I read and inspire myself and let go of everything and let all those connections happen? So I think that's so important, giving ourselves space. Because I agree, how many times do we come up with such ridiculous solutions? (laughs) And if we just took some time, like a better one would come out. And yeah, 
Yeah, I think it is having those limits for ourselves saying this is just not manageable. It made me think of in the fall, my husband broke his leg really badly. And from the hospital in Big Bear, he's calling me and he's saying, don't change your plans. I know you, you're going to just start organizing everything. He goes, it's going to be fine. Tuesday, I'll take Catherine to school. I was supposed to go on a trip with my son, with his class. He's going, it's going to be fine. And so I'm all right. I was like, okay, I won't change anything. I won't organize anything. Of course, then somebody calls me the next morning and says, oh no, he really badly broke his leg. He's going to have to go into surgery on all these things. So I started it. I started the planning and I had five different people that could help me get through the week. And then I just went, I can't manage five people. I can't communicate with five people around these things that need to happen. And that's when I literally just stopped pause and said, okay, I'm going to call his sister. Her kids have gone off to college now. I'm just going to call. I said, look, Bert's broken his leg really bad. And she goes, you want me to come? And I was like, yes, that's why I'm calling. I was just like, thank you. Thank you. And she came for two weeks and she looked after him and I looked after the kids and it, yeah, that was the solution we needed. Sometimes people are surprised that a pediatrician is doing this work. Why would a pediatrician be someone who is talking necessarily about strategies for moms, but also dads? And now I'm working with larger corporations, even who want stuff like this out to their entire employee base. Why am I either qualified or what's the basis for that? And what I always talk about is that as a pediatrician, you understand physiologically what's happening in terms of stress for kids, but then also just for humans in general. At the end of the day, we're all just small humans and adult bodies. And so I'm always bringing it back to how when we're in a stress state, you have your emotional state down here and your amygdala, then you have your forebrain and your executive functioning. When you're in a stressed state and your executive functioning is gone, we've done what's called flipping your lid and you're just in emotions. Your body, you've seen this all the time with little kids when they're having a tantrum or they're really upset. They're out of their mind. They can't make a good decision. They're just like here, there, everywhere. But if we can give ourselves that moment of pause to come down and bring our prefrontal cortex back down over our amygdalas, that is what, you know, so to speak, that is going to allow us then to make decisions that actually work for us. And so I always am thinking about for working moms in particular, when you have that overwhelm, that like, I have to get the laundry done. I have to do the dishes. What about Johnny's camp? And my boss just emailed me and and I got to go get the crutch. Like all of those things, your brain literally cannot do the deep work and the good thinking and the responsive thinking that it needs to do to create a solution for you or to problem solve effectively. And so a lot of being a successful quote unquote working mom is about learning how to to find solutions. And so you have to take that space. So that way you actually have the creativity and kind of the wherewithal to not be in what we call fight or flight, because in fight or flight, your body from an evolutionary standpoint thinks that there is literally a tiger that's running after you. It doesn't have time to have rational thought. It's thinking I got to get out of here. I got to run as far as I can, as far as I can get. And your body doesn't know the difference between the fact that you're out in the jungle though. And right now there's just like a piece of paper with a checklist that has to get done. It's the exact same physiological response. And so really at the core of what I'm trying to do at Modern Mommy Doc is get people to a space where they know what an organizational structure and framework would look like 
and then they can practice getting to a place of feeling really centered and feeling calm. So then they can access that framework and work upon it. That makes so much sense. And I can relate to that, that understanding of the physiology too. Cause again, the night I got the call about my husband, I know, cause I'm, my background was in exercise science. The kids were asleep in bed, but I walked around the cul-de-sac and I felt the stress leave my body. And so just at that awareness of that, and then that was actually when I um, first went into therapy, the therapist said to me, you are in a state of fight or flight. And she said, so just constantly ask yourself, what is threatening me at this moment? What is that? Who is the tiger? What is the tiger in the room right at this moment? Because I had to start to recognize that was exactly what I was feeling the whole time. And then when I learned more about mindfulness and meditation and that that actually being in the state I was in and the way I was operating was growing, my amygdala was making that part of my brain bigger and bigger to take over. And again, then the meditation, the mindfulness can have that neurological calming of that area of your brain. Yeah, I think behind this is understanding the physiology but like you say it's then having these frameworks and the big picture for us all to slot into and like we talked about already to tailor things to our particular needs so yeah t- tell us a little more than if there's anyone listening who doesn't know about modern mommy doc tell us a little bit what the app does and what your message really is you said a little bit about that message but what's today the most important messages that you have for mom and how does the app help them in that Yeah. So app really is about learning a framework that helps working moms to get unstuck from this place of paralysis about all the decisions and all of the, what we call paper tigers that are out there coming at us and vying for our attention. It allows us to say, this tiger is not real. So I don't have to really pay attention to it. I can laugh at it. I can create a solution that gets it done, but I'm not going to let it rev my heart rate up. And then you can say, these tigers are totally real. And I should totally put my heart and soul into these things. But then it allows you to trust yourself well enough so that even those things that actually do matter, don't stress you out so much because you're able to see, hey, this is my long-term goal. This is my long-term vision for my life. These are the things that matter most to me. I am capable of having some control over for where I place my time and attention there. So the app really walks people through that entire framework in very interactive activations where people can actually do in real time journaling there. We have conversations every single month around all the different parts of the framework. So for example, I was talking about minimalism. We have decluttering and organizing experts that come on and talk about that. We have people that come and talk about decluttering your schedule. We have people that talk about delegating, about how to delegate to older kids and have them do chores. We have people that come and talk about delegating to a partner. We have productivity and efficiency people that come and talk about that selective mediocrity. How can I get things done faster that have to get done? And then we have people that come and talk about balance. And then in the very center of that framework is the you part, knowing and trusting yourself. And so we have people that come on and talk about What are the things that energize you? What are the things that when people see you, they're like, wow, you're lit up about that. So that way for those moms who are feeling completely lost in motherhood, like how would I spend a day if I had an entire day by myself? I don't even know who I am anymore. You can start to actually come back to yourself so you can become your own navigational beacon. 
And then one of the most exciting parts about the app that we're so thrilled about, we're just launching is one-on-one consultations. So that then if you go through the framework, you've maybe learned on your own, you've watched the conversations with these experts, you can actually meet with someone and start a relationship with someone who is an expert in that field and take you to the next level on your own personal journey in your own time. So that's the Modern Mamas Club app. That is so fantastic. And as a behavioral scientist, I know all the background in terms of when people just have app with the technology, but there's no human part of it and accountability or access, then it doesn't work. We need technology and we need humans and peer-to-peer or support groups. Um, So I love that you really have integrated both because the app can help you with certain things to make things easier, but it's not the end. We need that peer and human support too. So that's amazing that you've put it all together. So just to end, I wanted to end with the final story that you had in your working mom blueprint about your daughter riding wildly while still having training wheels on and that you were saying that you were doing the same in motherhood. And it just touched me so much. And it reminded me that I have this image on my vision board of a little girl heading out on her bike with her backpack on and her training wheels on. So how do we remind ourselves of that brave girl more often? There's two ways that I do this. One is practicing self-compassion. If you don't know Kristen or Dr. Shapiro's work, both of those are amazing leaders that talk about self-compassion, mindful self-compassion. And about in the moment when we're not feeling brave, or if we're having an emotion that feels uncomfortable to us, or that feels like shaming to us, that we're really naming it, validating it, and then creating a sense of common humanity for ourselves. So for example, that might be my kids are acting a mess at school pickup, and I'm picking them up, and I see the principal's looking at me, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm a bad mom. And then I'm quickly saying to myself, okay, I feel shame. That makes sense. So the validation, my kids are trying to climb on the tree that they're not supposed to climb on. And then common humanity. I bet that I could look at every single mom who's here on this playground and they've probably had that experience too. So that's just a quick example of how it works in the moment. It's not about never having those moments where emotions come up. It's about how to deal with them in a way that's loving to ourselves. And that then allows us to not be scared of it so we can be more brave to continue on our totally imperfect journey. And then the other, as you were mentioning about going on that walk when you're feeling really stressed, really is to me about getting out of my mind and into my body and having other people that are reminding me in those spaces of the hard work that I can do and of the person who I am. So I find that spin classes, either if it's on like Peloton or if it's in a dark room with one of my favorite people locally, that burn cycle is a great place that I love to go and nothing's cute about it. And you're like huffing and puffing. And the person is saying, gosh, don't we all get so proud of ourselves when we're so busy, right? There's something about when your heart is pumping, when someone's giving you that message and it's reminding you that it sinks in, it goes in further. Similarly, like yoga is another great thing I love to do, or just walking, being out in nature reminds me, gives me that space that I need to be brave and having other people who come alongside and remind me either through exercise or through movement or other women who are in these spaces in this field. I, I just did a thing on finding mom friends on Modern Mommy Doc. And 
I'm a firm believer that there can be different types of mom friends, that there can be the ones that are like totally transactional. They pick up your kids sometimes, you pick up their kids sometimes, that type of thing. And then you have your deep people and really encouraged myself and my followers on Modern Mommy Doc to be selective, to have those people be people who really believe in you and you believe in them and that they have your best interest in mind and they are motivators. Because I am so in admiration of these other moms that continue to do like this amazing work of moving working moms out of the burnout space. But when I feel like I'm alone in it, or I feel like it's too hard, a lot of times I'm looking over at them and saying, nope, okay, we're going to keep on going sister and linking hands with them together. So I think those are the things that make me brave over time. And sometimes I don't want to do them, but when I'm consistent about each of those things, that's what brings about change. Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to check out my website, www.drjacquelinecurr.com for your free guides to prevent burnout. And please remember, Burnout can be related to serious health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care. Control, you're a fighter. Push the limits and see it, you're already there. Told you we going higher. Ain't no stopping us, we're going in for the win. And we're gonna celebrate. Then we're gonna do it all over again. And we're gonna rock this place. Cause this is our day. Yeah.